the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. to change your attitude, change your life's conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Today's guest, Shannon Dingle, has experienced staggering tragedy and trauma in her life, including surviving sexual abuse and trafficking as a child and the loss of her husband. But through the grief, she learned to find hope. In her first book, Living Brave, Lessons from Hurt, Letting the Way to Hope, she gives women permission to be brave in the darkest times. Shannon is a disability activist and freelance writer. Her story has been featured by Today, NPR, Good Morning America, and in The Atlantic and The Wall Street Journal. Welcome, Shannon. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So, Shannon, you've experienced so much pain and loss in your life, and I'm really sorry for everything that you've had to endure. So let's begin by starting with your story from the early years. What happened to you when you were a child? Um, When I was a child, I was born into a family that I thought was completely normal because as a kid, you don't know any different. I was the youngest of three in a family that was very, very concerned about outward appearances, but not about much of anything else. And so as long as everything looked good, whether or not things were good was irrelevant. Um, I began uh, experiencing sexual abuse at a very young age. By the time I was wrapping up middle school, it escalated to sex trafficking, where basically my dad allowed men to, um, to continue that same abuse for a price. Um, and then basically my focus Uh, through a lot of those years was that if I could make it to 18, then I could go to college, I could get out of there, I could make it through anything after that. I just needed to live long enough to get to adulthood. So you started off by saying you thought you lived in a family where all of this was normal. When did you realize that this behavior was not quote unquote normal? You know, it was a gradual realization to um, notice little things about other families that at first seemed like, oh, wow, they're like really nice to each other. That's weird. Um, And then realizing as I observed other families that and more and more, you know, that, that that was much more the norm than what my household was. When you are a child experiencing extreme trauma, you learn to be incredibly observant because that is what is necessary for survival. So I would observe people's moods. I would observe people's reactions. I would observe what was going on in a larger context to know if um, family members were going to be angry if family members were going to be in a bad mood or good mood or um, a mood where they were distracted by things and so maybe I would be safer. And with all of that, it made me a, a keen observer of other families and other people as well. I think that there was a part of me that always knew that some of the things were wrong. Uh, I think we're just 
wired in a way, um, and research supports this, to consider incest to be a um, to, to be kind of a crime against our own personhood um, when perpetuated uh, by especially by an older male figure. Mm-hmm. And so I began watching and I would say it was really solidly by middle school when kids talked a lot more about their home lives than we really did in elementary school that I realized, wait, these experiences that other people are sharing seem to be like real and true rather than what I had been taught to do, which is there's things you share that make us look good. And then there's things that no one shares. And so we, so that we don't look bad. And I thought everybody had those stories that no one shares. So we don't look bad. And it was, um, you know, around 11 or so that I realized that. So Shannon, you mentioned your father when the person who is supposed to protect you and that you're supposed to be able to trust the most betrays you in such a horrific manner. How do you then move forward and build any type of a relationship with another person? It's hard. Um, And it was made even more difficult by the fact that my father was a high ranking official in the local sheriff's office. So it not only was my father who's supposed to care for me, but how do you go to the police when it's the police that are hurting you? Hmm. Um, so for for me, honestly, a lot of uh, the reality has been that I am very slow to trust. I am very cautious about letting people in and kind of to a fault can try to be independent. I'm learning more and more. And a lot of my story in the book is, is, Speaking to that, um, uh, the how to trust and how I came to trust Lee, my husband, uh, who I met when I was 18, um, and a large part of trusting him was that I got a horrible case of mono and really just didn't feel well enough to be second-guessing everything like I usually would. You, in addition to these emotional scars that you've just described, you've had other impacts on your life. Can you share some of those with us as well? Yeah, um, I have some physical disabilities that are lasting from physical and sexual abuse. I've had um, six knee surgeries, I think now, six spinal surgeries, and things are much better, but will never be what they should have been. Um, at various times, I experienced different levels of disability as the, as a result of all of that. And even had um, my most recent spine surgery was just this past January. And additionally, um, I think it's really, really important that we are mindful that our minds are as much a part of our body as our knees and spine are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have... Um, pretty severe PTSD and uh, require a lot of really um, robust mental health supports that thankfully um, I've been able to put into place and have an excellent therapist who I've been working with for quite a while. Um, So one of the things that I hope is a takeaway from the book is that there is absolutely no shame in seeking help, you know, that more often than not, it's when we don't seek help, and we don't acknowledge how hard things are, that we end up taking the hurt that we've experienced and turning it into hurt against other people. So Shannon, you've experienced tremendous, tremendous tragedy in your life, going through all of what happened as a child, then you you met a man, you fell in love, and then he passed away. And so you have all of these emotional and these physical scars. For anyone who is listening, we all go through different challenges in one degree or another. But with what you were able to move forward from, how on earth did you do this? How did you get from that place where you were so broken to writing a book about living brave? How did you make that leap? Well, I think all of us are a lot braver than we know. And and then circumstances can end up 
making it necessary for that to rise up more than it might have otherwise. I don't aim to be perfect. I used to. And that was something that would catch me up all the time because no one is perfect. And I would um, end up beating myself up a lot in addition to emotional and spiritual abuse that I experienced from others. I think, and, and I write about this, that taking the next right step is all that any of us can do. And while my trauma and, and tragedies have been on the much more severe end, if we're going to rank things, whatever is hard for any given person is their hard. It's not that mine is worse or theirs is worse. You know, we all are experiencing difficult things, particularly in light of COVID, but in light of just life in general. And so I I hope one of the things that my book conveys is that we all have really difficult things. We all are able to take one step at a time, that we're all able to care for ourselves in mind and body, that we're all able to say yes to the hard things that we know are the right things and bravely say no to the things that are not anything that we need to be doing. We talk a lot about the bravery of saying yes, but not as much the bravery of saying no. Shin, can you share with our listeners uh, a strategy or two from your book that can help someone be brave? So one of the things, and, and I come back to this again and again, and it doesn't seem like a major thing, but breathing exercises, there's a ton of different breathing exercises you can do. The one that I often do is called box breathing, which I'll explain in just a moment. Our breath helps us regulate emotion. There is um, all sorts of science that backs that up. Um, There's a lot of basis for uh, in that knowledge for yoga and for other um, uh, activities that are known for reducing stress, um, as well as even just in in prayer, uh, praying and breathing as sort of a a combination. We know that that helps get us to the place where we're not reacting out of um, pure reactionism, you know, uh, that we're actually being able to connect with ourselves. So with box breathing, um, I usually draw a box in the air when I'm doing it, or at least very smallly, um, kind of in my lap of you breathe one or you hold your breath one two three four um you exhale one two three four you hold that one two three four and then you um inhale one two three four and that pausing allows us to get to to a more grounded place than we often are There's other grounding things um, that I use a lot, like counting different items in a room, for example, uh, that I didn't include in the book, but plan to um, be, be publishing an article about soon, because so much of our body and our brain are connected. But the... um, The other principle that I think is really important um, and want to share with listeners now is that we all are brave in our own ways, and it doesn't look like something that is prescribed. So often we call certain things brave, and usually they're the showier things. They're the more... um, more flashy, more um, celebrated, more visible things. And sometimes the brave thing is getting out of bed. Sometimes the brave thing is going into work after a project didn't go well. Sometimes the brave thing is continuing to work on a relationship or walking away from the relationship. And all of that 
is can only really be determined by connecting with your own self and your own experiences often through, I'll give another plug for therapy, um, often with somebody who is trained or at least someone who has proven trustworthy in your life so that you can um, learn what brave looks like for you in terms of what your principles and values are. Um, I would love to give one size fits all advice that would be perfect for everyone. Um, but that would, wouldn't be true or authentic. Um, because while we all do need to connect with ourselves to know, um, really and check in with ourselves to know what the next brave thing is, there isn't a universal, okay, if this is happening in my life, what do I do sort of answer. The book is Living Brave, Lessons from Hurt, Lighting the Way to Hope. If you'd like to get more information about Shannon and her work, you can visit shannondingle.com. Shannon, in about 30 seconds or less, what's a takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? I would love for listeners to know that they are loved and lovable and able to do the next thing. So often we aren't brave because we doubt ourselves or because we think that we don't have the capacity that someone else who we think is brave has. And the reality is that we are made to be brave in responding to the next things and that is something that isn't just for like some elite class no this is something that is for everyone shannon thank you so much for joining us it has really been a pleasure having you on the show yeah thank you for having me this is conversations with joan stay with us we'll be right back Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path. Personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Lisa Luckett, a life coach, speaker, and CEO of Cosmina Enlightened Living, a brand of kindness. Lisa is the author of the book, The Light in 9-11, Shocked by Kindness, Healed by Love. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Joan. Thank you so much for having me. Lisa, last month, we talked about your husband and 9-11, and it is now the 20th anniversary of that tragedy. How have you changed in the past two decades? Okay. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big question in the sense that I am not even close to the person I was 20 years ago. I made a very unique fork in the road at that time. Within days and even the first week of 9-11, I, a power started building from up within, within me that was this strength and it was like a warrior strength but it wasn't a warrior in an angry way it was a warrior of love i kid you not and when i say that i feel it right now meaning that there was no way i could let teddy my husband and all the others die in vain that i had to make something good come from 9-11 or the terrorists would have won and that was completely unacceptable to me 
in that so, moment, I realized the only thing I could do was go figure out the why of everything. Meaning I took my life to the analyst couch to learn and study my life and the world around us to find out all the root causes to understand how do when we show up in the world as individuals, what my life experiences was, what were to not in a way to blame or point fingers, but to understand the root cause of where I was. And then on a macro level, look at where society was. Why were we where we are? How did we get here? And what, Rem, what came from it, now 20 years later, here I am talking to you, and I have figured out the why of many, 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 many things, of which is why I'm here and we're doing these kinds of, of exercises to try to get the word out that there's many ways to look at this, that we have an opportunity today to shift our perspective and grow from the experiences that seem tra so traumatic. So to take that step and that pivot forward out of the victimization of never forget, instead of never forget that we were attacked, let's never forget the beautiful magnanimous grace that came in the two years that followed in, in, the, in the beauty of humanity when all the defensive walls came down and we just loved each other. And that's where we can go with a shift in perspective. You and I have spoken in the past about how we all have 9-11 moments. You said that when you went through this, you took your life to the couch to analyze everything about what you were feeling and where you were going to go moving forward. Do you think that's a good practice for anyone when they're going through a similar experience, when they're in that, you know, they're in that dark hole and they don't know where to go, what their next move will be? Should we all take our life to the couch? Well, I'm kind of the poster child for mental health and, and emotional health, so I absolutely think yes. And mm -hmm. I'll say it like this. There is simply nothing more interesting than studying your life. And I, re I want to reiterate for all of the, the there's still some, there's still a lot of shame around admitting that we're not perfect and that we have faults. But every single day, there's more coming out on the fact that this is the piece that's missing. This is why we have 20 years post 9-11 now, you know, in COVID, why we haven't gotten anywhere, why we're still stuck, why that knot has been pulled so tightly, because we haven't been taken that courage, which is being afraid and doing it anyway, right, to put our lives out for introspection. And it's in the introspection. It's in looking. Again, you're not blaming anyone. This is not about pointing fingers. Knowing and understanding that everyone is on the planet doing their best. Your parents did their best. Was it enough? Maybe not. But that was all they were capable of doing. So what it did is it gave you the life experience you needed as a soul, if you will, to learn and grow and ultimately gain very much needed, very much in, very important wisdom, which is ultimately why we're even here, is to grow in this way, to gain wisdom from our experiences. Before I went through the traumatic experiences that I did over a decade ago, I didn't pay any attention to my life. I didn't know why I thought the things I thought or why I did the things I did. I just blindly went through each day, you know, according to the expectations of everyone around me, what I was supposed to be doing. And like you advise, I took my life to the couch and I started to analyze why I thought the things I did, why I did the things I did. And it was from that practice that I was able to move forward. So I can't agree with you more what you're teaching us to do. I just wish it for everyone, Joan, because the life I live now, and I'm not saying it's always easy, but what I have is my feet firmly planted. I understand who I am and how I show up in the world, which are two things I did not know before 9-11. After 40 years, I was 41 when my husband died. So, you know, I would had, a, theoretically, I was a, a mature adult, but the truth was I wasn't at all. And, and where we're going with this ultimately is to a place of self-awareness. And what you and I both learned on the couch was introspection. Again, we have these events happen, and how did we take them? How did we experience them? And how can we look at them differently? How were they experienced by the other people in the room? What would their stories be? Because you take one event and 10 people, and you will have 10 different versions of that event. So what, what analysis or therapy does for you is it, it opens you so that you can see not only the situation and what happened to you, but then begin to loosen your grip around it and start to see the other people and why they might have reacted in the way they did based on their life experience 
that led up to that. So Lisa, in our final moments, very briefly, in memory of what happened that day 20 years ago, what do you want to say to everyone who's been so impacted by that tragedy? Two things, Joan. First of all, I may have had the most extreme experience in losing Teddy in this way, but 9-11 was a collective trauma for everyone in the United States and many, many people around the world. And in that trauma, we are connected. And while we're in a place of great division right now, we have to remember we are much more connected. And within trauma, connection is very powerful. So how can we use that now moving into the next 20 years and spin in that shifted way to see it, see 9-11, your experience, et cetera, in a new way, from a new perspective. And the second thing I'd like to say is there's no coincidence, and you and I talked about this, there's no coincidence that 9-11 is also 9-1-1. So anyone listening has their own version, their own 9-1-1. And it's really important in all of this to remember that none of us were born knowing how to do this, that this is something that we are taught and experienced through our families and through our culture. And our culture really has had very little time spent on our emotional intelligence, on our self-awareness and on our introspection. And it's not that we've done anything wrong. We just haven't had time. So maybe now going forward, it's my wish that we all allow ourselves more introspection, more self-awareness and taking more responsibility for the situations that we've found ourselves in, at least in the way of, of, trying to see it through a loving lens and a lens of empathy. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Lisa, or if you'd like to work with Lisa, you can visit her website, lisaluckett.com. Or as always, to hear more from Lisa, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Lisa. We'll be right back. Throughout the last decade, my professional life has taken many twists and turns. There are times that I operate by the seat of my pants, learning as I go, praying for the best possible outcome, following my intuition and my heart. Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Follow your intuition, it knows the way. A while back, I began to work with a person who was assigned to my company's account. From the moment I met him, my entire body screamed, be careful. There was something about him that told me not to be too trusting. All the warning signs were there. My intuition was on the job. Now, I'm the type of person who wants to trust everyone, and I usually give people the benefit of the doubt many, many times. I want to believe that others have the same agenda and motives, so I push my inner guidance aside. This person dangled golden opportunities in front of me. He offered me more than I could have imagined, everything I wanted. It was easy for me to get caught up in his promises, but there was always that nagging feeling inside of me. Something didn't add up. There never was a straight answer to my questions, always a tap dance. After our first meeting, I couldn't sleep for a few nights. Even though I was excited about what was to come, I felt sick every time I recounted the opportunities to my friends. My body tightened and sometimes I actually shook. My nerves were on edge. But because he was answering my prayers, or so I thought at the time, I pushed the warning signs aside and worked with him. I took what he said and turned it into what I wanted to hear, what I wanted him to say. But there was always that nagging feeling inside of me. As time passed, he began to request more and more from my company in return for the promised opportunities, which, by the way, never materialized. I finally decided to listen to my inner guidance, which was screaming by this time, and I called him out. Once I stopped taking what he said at face value and held my ground, all the promises disappeared. He showed his true colors. It took months of anxious moments and many sleepless nights before I found the courage to follow what I knew from the beginning to be the right direction. I knew all along what was right for me. I just chose not to listen. Thankfully, I found the courage. Does this story sound familiar? How many times do you strive to make something fit the way you want it to while all the time knowing it's wrong for you? We all want to believe in others and try to please them, but at what cost? How long can you stay in a dying relationship or in a job that's making you sick? How many times can you keep saying yes while inside you're screaming no? We all have inner guidance to point us in the right direction. The problem is, more often than not, we don't listen. It's not always easy to stand up for what we want. Sometimes it seems impossible, but it's always worth it. 
The moment I stood up for myself, I began to sleep better and feel more relaxed. I could breathe. While I may not have gotten what I wanted this time, I know something better will come. Learn to trust yourself. Follow your intuition. It knows the way. You are stronger than you think and more wiser than you know. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more empowering tips and information, visit joanherman.com. From the studios of AM 970, The Answer, on Broadway and Wall Street in Manhattan, this is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. My next guest, Jeffrey Antonucci, went from being a bricklayer to a published author. In his new book, Deep Within a Blueberry Sky, Jeffrey shares a story that teaches us how to deal with challenges, and he confirms that there are no limits or barriers to what a person can accomplish, no matter what the condition or circumstance. Welcome, Jeffrey. Thanks for joining us. Joan, thank you for having me. So, Jeff, you have such an inspiring story. You went from being a bricklayer to a published author. Was this something that you ever thought would be possible in your life? Joan, not in uh, a million billion years. (laughs) And uh, you could even take that to say, did I ever think I'd be interviewed by Joan Herman uh, for her radio show? And there again, I would say not in a million billion years. But uh, here we are. Here we are. So it is a true testament to how we need to believe that there are truly no limits to what we can do. Absolutely, and I couldn't agree more because the fact that I'm doing this myself and talking to you, I would have never believed I would be doing it in a billion years. So those are the best stories, and that's what a lot of this book and and your life represents. So was it always a dream of yours to be a writer? It was not. It was not, Joan. Um, This idea came to me. And this is how I say it this way, and this is exactly how it occurred, like a slideshow before my eyes, Mm -hmm. just like that. And when I saw this slideshow, I saw it and I I thought, my goodness, that's a beautiful story, and I'm going to write it. (laughs) But what I thought I was actually going to be writing was a small children's book, more along the lines of a picture book, because I had just seen images. I had just seen pictures. But when I started to write the story, the, the words kept coming, the ideas kept coming, and I ended up writing a manuscript that was over 100,000 words. I know a lot of people who want to write a book, and they're so caught up in, before they sit down, they're so caught up in, in needing to know exactly how the project will evolve and what the story will be about. But what you just described is a beautiful example of just allowing it to flow and allowing it to come through you. And and it can take a wonderful turn and, and even surprise you. Without a doubt, without a doubt, that this is a perfect example of that, perfect testimony to that. Um, I think when you ask, you know, from bricklayer to published author, where I did not have, I didn't think, the capabilities of doing this. Not one bit. And what happens is you, if you look at the big picture, it's like, okay, I'm here, and I'm going to climb that mountain, and that mountain is Mount Everest, mm-hmm. you're going to be intimidated. You're going to think of all the things that are going to prevent you that you don't have the capabilities of doing. See, all those things are going to come to mind. But this came little steps at a time, and a person has to believe, just like in this case for me, that what you need will come as you do it. Once you start, you take little steps at a time, and like a perfect example for me was when I needed an illustrator. The illustrator came. He was there, and he did a magnificent job. So I didn't have any of these things in place, totally thinking beyond anything I would be able to do, but then it came. It was, as you say, it started to flow, and, and everything I needed then came. So, Jeff, you said that this story just came to you. How did that happen? Were there signs, or how did, how did it come to you? Joan, there were. There were signs. Um, I was in a position that I was in a job that I was going to be losing that job. 
and I was quite concerned about where my next job was going to be coming from. And I was leaving that work there that one day, and I'm on, I hop on 80 East up there in Mount Olive, and a truck comes along, a pickup truck comes alongside of me, and on the back of that window of that pickup truck read, when you're down to nothing, God is up to something. And it was within week, week and a half, after that, reading that what was on the back of that guy's pickup truck, the idea for this story came to me like a slideshow before my eyes. And I knew I was going to be writing it. Once I started to write the story, now, Joan, I have to tell you, I didn't own a computer in my home back then. Mm-hmm. I can't even type, okay? <laughs> but yet I went and got my computer because I finished up that job. I wasn't now working. I went and got my computer. I sat down and I started to write this manuscript. That week when I started it, I drive by here in my town past the church where they have a sign out, and they always have either, you know, verses from the Bible or scripture or whatever on that sign. When I drove by that sign that day, when I had just started to write the story, the sign read, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in you. I actually stopped and took a picture of that sign. Nine months later, when I finished writing the story, I wrote past that sign, and the sign read, Love's redeeming work is done. And there were other signs as well. There were other signs as well, but those were the, you know, some of the biggest ones, I will tell you. There are signs all around us when we take the time to pay attention to them and we allow them into our life. So true. So true, Joan. Jeff, was this always the way that you lived your life? Did you always believe that things would come, and and did you always follow your dreams, or was this something new for you? So, you know, uh, Joan, we have the ability to do everything and anything we desire. If the inspiration guides you, allow it. Go with it. Go with it. Everything you need will come as a result. It could be writing a book. It could be learning how to play a beautiful instrument, any art. You could be a, become a beautiful artist, magnificent artist. It's in you if that's what you're inspired to do. Well, and that's your story. What type of lessons are you trying to convey through the story that you wrote? I feel that there are so many wonderful, positive messages within this story, accomplishment, Truly believing there are no limits to what you can do. Love. Love is throughout this story. And it shows when love is given, how it then is received by that person and how they then take that love and, it, and they spread it and it grows exponentially. All good comes from love. So I pray and I believe it is uh, a message that needs to be put out there to help people truly believe that that is the case. Love. My goodness, Joan, it's what our world needs more now, right? Absolutely, absolutely. It it is the cure-all, I believe. I agree. And, Jeff, is this story based on anyone you know? You know, uh, Joan, there there are characters in the story throughout Mm -hmm. that are named after, like my mother, the young girl in the story, her name is Sarah. That's my mom's name. That's my mom's name. Oh, my goodness. Uh-huh. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, a, a lot of the experience I had growing up in a beautiful, large uh, Italian, you know, world of Italian descent and things mm-hmm. like that. But, you know, love isn't just exclusive to Italians. It's throughout all cultures. And it's family. It's the love you feel within being with your family and knowing they love you and they're sharing their love with you, right? And so there are many experiences that, or I guess I could say things that occur in the book that I experienced myself. Jeffrey, you keep saying, and I couldn't agree more, that what the world needs more today of is love. So what is your hope for this book? I desire that this book, the story, the messages, can go out there and do good. 
I, I believe that there are folks just, you know, it could be under any circumstance. They, they feel that, again, they, they don't, there, are, there are limits to what they can do. This story will prove otherwise. The book is Deep Within a Blueberry Sky. Jeffrey, if our listeners would like to get more information about the book or you and your work, where can they go? Uh, They can go to my website, which is inspiredworks.net. Inspiredworks.net. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. As you said, it's time for more positive messaging, and, and certainly what this world needs more of is love. So I can't think of a better message to share with our listeners. So thank you for joining us. Joan, thank you so very much. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Did you know that sound in the absence of language is processed on the right side of your brain? Hi, I'm Allison Ayati, musician, sound therapist, and the owner of Awaken Sound Health, a meditation and sound healing studio located in Chester, New Jersey. Sound in the absence of language is processed through the temporal lobe on the right side of your brain. The left side of your brain, which is responsible for sorting and classifying sensory input, essentially disengages. This may be one of the reasons why sound meditation for many people is a quick and easy way to attain the meditative state. By disengaging the left side of the brain, constant worrisome chatter is also shut down. Sound meditation in essence is listening to sounds and music that create a relaxation response and has other benefits that affect mental and emotional well-being because music activates areas of your brain that impact your mental and emotional health. Music stimulates the nucleus accumbens, which releases dopamine that can have a mood-elevating effect. When galvanized by emotional triggers, music activates the amygdala, and that can produce an emotional release. Music also stimulates the hippocampus, a part of your brain that is essential in regulating life-sustaining processes such as your heart rate and your body temperature. To learn more about sound therapy, go to awakensoundhealth.com. Sound therapy is not a replacement for medical or psychological intervention. Have you ever thought about what would happen if you or your spouse couldn't work because of sickness or injury? Would your group benefits be enough? If you don't have any protection, how quickly would your savings last to pay for everyday bills and maintaining the life that you love? Hi, my name is Kate Toby, financial services professional with the Fortis Agency. I'm here to share some tips on what you should consider when looking into protecting your income. Many people don't realize how much their disability insurance policies will pay out in the event of an injury or illness. It is important to understand your policies, especially when you get a promotion or pay increase to see if there are any new gaps in your coverage. It is also beneficial to know how long your benefits will last in the event you can't work because you are sick or hurt. This time frame can vary by months or years, depending on the plan that you have. If you have any questions about your current policies, speak to your financial advisor to see if the coverage is enough for your situation. For more information on disability insurance, send me an email at ktoby at thefortisagency.com. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Linda Mitchell, a certified transition coach, reinvention expert, and speaker who empowers people that are stuck, overwhelmed, or ready for change to release the struggle, gain clarity, and evolve to their highest purpose as they move through life's challenges and transitions. Linda is here today to discuss how to squash your fear of failure. Welcome, Linda. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me back, Joan. Linda, I think all of us at one time or another have let fear drive the way that we live our life. But you believe Mm. that fear is one of the greatest blocks to feeling fulfilled. And you say fear actually settles into our bodies. Can you talk more about this? And, And what do you mean when you say it gets stuck in our bodies? Yeah, fear is one of the most powerful emotions. And when we let fear rise up, it has so many detrimental effects. Fear can hold you back from stepping into your full potential and from living your soul's true purpose. Fear prevents us from overcoming the normal obstacles that we face on the way to realizing our dreams. It'll squash your motivation. It can stop you in your tracks, even when you're on the right path. So, I mean, I've even seen it keep people from rewarding relationships and opportunities because it squashes courage. Simply stated, fear, especially the fear of failure, keeps you stuck. 
Over time, fear leads to feeling unfulfilled, unhappy, or unworthy. And you know what? Studies show that it actually settles into the body, creating illness, anxiety, imbalance, and disease. We humans are emotional creatures, and we need to be able to process our emotions and express them, or they'll show up somewhere else, because our unresolved emotions and issues land in our tissues. Unprocessed emotional energy like fear gets stored in muscles, organs, tissues, and joints. It leads to inflammation, chronic health problems, and compromised health. As a body worker and an integrative coach for years, I have found and seen fear getting stuck primarily in the mid-back and the low-back and the kidneys and the abdomen. I mean, it shows up other places, but that's primarily where we see it. So, Linda, once we recognize that fear is holding us back, what can we do to control it and to turn everything around? Well, first of all, let's remember, fear is a normal human emotion, so we shouldn't beat ourselves up for it. It's essential to acknowledge the fear, accept it, and just decide it's not going to get the best of you. You see, it's what we choose to do with our fear that makes all the difference. There's a classic book on the topic of fear, and I reread it occasionally. It's called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. I mean, the title says it all, right? I've made it my mantra, and I encourage and guide my clients to do the same. The good news is by pushing past the fear, even in small steps, you grow personally in a way that catapults you into a place of opportunity, adventure, and freedom rather than letting fear take over. I invite you to tune into your body and feel where are you holding it. Discern the source of your anxiety and then put on your objective glasses to see if your fears are real or mostly just in your imagination. Some people catastrophize and only look at the worst case scenarios. That certainly feeds the fear monster. And if that's the case, your fears could be really keeping you stuck. One of the best definitions I've seen for fear is this, false evidence appearing real. False evidence keeps you comfortable and safe, but stuck. And you'll know fear has a grip on you if you start to rationalize. I call them rational lies, right? That's all the reasons why you can't move forward. I have a sign in my office that I look at daily. It says, everything you want is on the other side of fear. This propels me forward and keeps me keenly aware that I can create excuses or rational lies when fear sneaks in. So if you find yourself mired in fear, recognize this human condition. Give yourself a little compassion and then a gentle nudge forward. Hire a coach to be your guide, cheerleader, and accountability partner. Trying and failing is so much less painful than settling and regretting never having tried. We should actually be afraid of stagnation, not failure. Do you believe that it's failure that people fear the most? Yes, absolutely. And the way to get out of this the way to move past it is really one small step at a time. It's really our perspective and our mindset that makes fear of failure overwhelming. Because if you look at failure as simply a part of life, you're more accepting and it feels less crushing when it happens. Here's what I truly believe. Failure is not the opposite of success. It's simply part of it. My kids used to think I was crazy when I congratulated them for their little failures along the way. Now, as young adults, I think they see the wisdom in that encouragement. Because the greatest gift you can give yourself is to recognize that your journey is never going to be a straight path, but maybe one dotted with some hurdles and snags and lessons. If we never stop, step outside of our comfort zones, we never find out what we're capable of. And I read somewhere that at the end of life, it wasn't so much things people did that they regretted. It was the things they didn't do and wish they had tried that caused the most regret. When fear of failure rises up, pause, breathe, and boldly choose one small step that will move you beyond your current obstacle. Just one small step. It'll give you that confidence to take another step and another and another. Running from your fear is so much more painful than facing it. Even if you fail at first, it's okay. Figure out what worked and what didn't and try another approach. You know, a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor, right? So we have to keep trying and you'll uncover your courage and find the satisfaction and freedom you deserve. Conquering your fear of failure makes you fierce, wise, and free. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Linda and her work, you can visit livinginspiredcoaching.com. Or as always, to hear more from Linda, you can visit our website, 
cyacyl.com slash Linda. If you're a small business owner, you know that not everybody is your customer. The reality of this on social media can be summed up in two of the groups of people who use social media. We call them scrollers and lurkers. This is Susan McLaughlin from SMC Ventures. And if you're surprised at the number of people who are using social media, you are not alone. According to the statistics from online scheduler Hootsuite, Facebook has 1.8 billion daily active users. And Instagram also has more than a billion people on every day. That's a lot of people. There are a number of people who just hang out on social media and look at what comes up, but they don't follow. Hence the name, scrollers and lurkers. Sounds dangerous, but it really isn't. These are people who don't want to follow someone all the time. They just want to drop in to see what's going on and if they like your content. Often, they just like to see what you're doing without making a commitment to your posts on a daily basis. So while you may not have thousands of followers, you may have thousands of people who see what you're doing, just not making a commitment to your social media profile. This is why you need to make sure that your posts on social media are strategic, well thought out, look good, and most importantly, give important information. You never know when other the people who are scrolling or lurking will decide that they need what you're offering. If you need help with your social media for business, give us a call. You can check out our website at smcventures.biz or visit us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. This is Susan McLaughlin from SMC Ventures. Simple social media. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.